playing Java, that Batman vs. Superman review where the guy cries. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hashtag Martha. You weren't really mad, were you, that you had to wait until after Fitware? No. Katie was like, Dave's slamming us all up and down Twitter. I was like, no, I don't think that that's... What's happening? What? Yeah, no. Slam them all down Twitter whatever I can. I don't know how <laughs> she thinks that's a different than ever. <laughs> Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Wednesday, March 30th. This is issue 38, and we are living in a post-Batman v Superman world. Uh. <laughs> if you want to hear Dave's full, like, immediate, more immediate reactions, a lot of interesting, thoughtful things that he had to say about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, you're going to listen to the last two episodes of Fighting the Worm, or maybe by the time you hear this I don't know, the third and second to last. Basically, there's a review episode and then the general episode for this week starting in March. I have a cool way to do this. Yeah, you do so it. You go to fightinginthewarroom.com. Yeah. Where this episode is. Yeah. And click the little hashtag that says Batman v Superman. Uh, and it'll perfect. pop up every episode we mention it. Great. So the last two are where Dave has really sort of let his geek flag fly. Um, and, you know, they all had great things to say. It's a weird world when I agree with David Ehrlich about a comic book movie, but that's what happened. So those are great episodes. You should listen to them. We're going to talk about it a little bit, of course, at the end of this episode. And of course, if you are listening to this, you know that I'm coming to it from a very biased perspective. But we're not going to spend a ton of time on it just because I've ranted about it on Twitter Dave's talked about it on other podcasts. Um, and we don't have anything else to talk about until Suicide Squad for that universe, so chances are we'll be talking about it a lot. Yeah, but I am excited for the Wonder Woman movie, but we'll get to that. Okay, so first we're going to do... we're going to talk two movies ahead of the <laughs> schedule. First we're going to talk about the Daredevil bet. Uh, if you guys listened into our spoiler section last time we recorded, you'll know that Dave and I, with the help of Neil Miller, made a bet about... Who would or would not show up in Daredevil Season 2? Um, since it's the absence of something and it's been out a couple weeks, I'm going to just go ahead and say... I mean, that's kosher, right, Dave? That I can say the outcome? Sure, because it doesn't ruin this season in any way, I don't think. The, this character's non-inclusion it would muddy the waters even more for people who haven't saw it, I would imagine. Right, so Dave, uh, Dave uh, logically given what happens at the end of the season. Emotionally, logically. Thought that Bullseye had to show up uh, because, you know, Bullseye... It's paired with Electra, and it's paired with all the stuff yeah. that came up this season. Exactly. So that was, a, that was a logical bet. I bet with my heart saying I didn't think there was room for him. Wonder of Wonder, Miracle of Miracles, I won this bet. I thought for sure I wasn't going to, but I won. 
Bullseye is not in season two of Daredevil, um, which means that Dave owes me some sort of auditory uh, embarrassment on this podcast. Now, we've had some nice suggestions, but I, I kind of want to open up to wider suggestions. Please email us at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com or find us on Twitter if you have an idea of how Dave could publicly embarrass himself uh, with uh, something recorded. Bear in mind that his threshold for embarrassment is really high. And I mean, yeah. I'll put limits on things like don't do anything that like gets me killed. If you've seen the like Die Hard with a Vengeance, don't do anything from the first part of that movie. But like other than that, well, I'm, I'm the far, I'm the final arbiter of what you will and won't do, and I I'm just trying to loop in the suggestions. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not going to put your life on the line. So anyway. Uh, video's not out of the question. Audio's not out of the question. Ooh, video. That's fun. All yeah, right. I have a whole website I run, host stuff. It's great. You guys. So just think about it. Think about what we could get Dave to do within the realm of reason uh, to publicly shame him for uh, one time me getting something right about comic books that he got wrong. Um, and speaking of which, we do want to talk about the last six episodes of Daredevil. If you're not caught up, you might want to skip forward a little bit. Um, I don't if think you're not caught up on the last six episodes of Daredevil. Everything else we talk about on this podcast has happened chronologically after that. So get catching up. What have you been doing for March? But- <laughs> That's true. Um, I just want to say that. Uh, I mean, I don't need to go into too much in detail. I liked it a lot, especially because of all the Electra stuff in the back uh, six. I have made it no secret how much I really liked Electra in the show. The Punisher stuff didn't do much for me, so as the focus shifted more to her, I appreciated that. I really liked how the last episode went down. Um, yeah, what did, what did you think, Dave? I think the last two episodes pooped the bed. Oh, similar to Daredevil season one, (laughs) except Daredevil season two was much better, which made the last two episodes of uh, Daredevil season two so much more painful. Specifically, I was like, oh, no, where there's a scene where Stick, Elektra and Daredevil are all confronted by Nobu in the hand and Elektra switches side at least twice just through conversation. Who's going to hold the sword? Where is she going to stand in the room? And what is she most of all? All of these things are like very barely defined. Uh, and then the way they find a way out of it is Matt mansplains that no one has to define her besides herself, which is just like the most awkward way to make that argument in a room full of ninjas uh, with your ex-boyfriend. So that was weird. And then the episode directly after that, it just like decided not to do anything with the Punisher. At the whole end of the Punisher arc is really where I felt like Bullseye should have been there, and at some point it became something else to spin the Punisher off. Because the ultimate conclusion of who the blacksmith is was not satisfying and raised more questions about what was going on and who was really in control. And it also made me feel really weird because like in the first two episodes, there's like this, oh, there's a paramilitary group that's like running New York and like it, 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 yeah, we hear it's one man. It's like this ghost story. But there really was a paramilitary group running New York the whole time. So like how is the, the cops look even more inept for not being able to figure out any of these places? And like there's a siren coming for me now because that's how horrible law enforcement is at the end of this movie. And then like... <laughs> 
even when they have all the pieces in the right place to use the quiet siren, I'm keeping going. Every time even when they have all the pieces in the right place to like use them correctly, like where the Punisher should be shooting hundreds of uh, like uh, masked ninjas on a rooftop before Daredevil and Elector even get out there to thin out their ranks because when they get through the door, there's only like a, a dozen. They instead save it for like another moment where it's like we're already supposed to be caring about what happened to Elektra and Matt's like rage to like kick the immortal guy off the roof. So it's like breaking a rule, but not breaking a rule. Just like so much muddle of how to stick a landing for all the prep that went into it that I was really, really into. Like just in the last two to three episodes, characters start working for the plot instead of working for themselves. And I really, really disliked it. You know, okay, I completely agree with you that all the Clancy Brown stuff was just a terrible payoff. But since I was, like, emotionally checked out of the Punisher storyline anyway, I didn't care. But if you were invested, then, yeah, I I agree that that was a bad, bad ending to that. And I can't believe that Punisher is the character that's getting a spinoff. It's just uh, staggering to me. And the way that that Punisher was just sort of, like, shoehorned into the last episode for, like, two seconds was was stupid. Um, I actually liked Elektra's vacillation. Um... uh, it, it was clumsy writing, but I just really do think that Elodie Young sort of sold Electra's dual nature so well for me that, that it worked. Um, well, I mean, I, she plays I a sociopath I, good, but what's Black Sky? Is she I'm, activated already? Has she been no, activated I feel her like, whole life? I feel like we're going to find out what's Black Sky when she comes back. Okay. So basically, they're like, we hope you like this performance because we're not going to give you anything to go on otherwise. Well, I did like the performance. And I mean, I think that her opting to side with the nin- with the hand and then opting to swing back to good could have been a couple episodes. And so in a season that's not trying to basically tell two seasons worth of story, a.k.a. Punisher and Elektra, if we just had an Elektra season, I think that would have been... I mean, obviously better. I mean, my bias is so clear. I don't, I'm not even trying to hide it. But, like, I think that storyline would have been better served by her having, like, a whole episode where she's tempted to just give in to all the shit that's been said to her her whole life. Um, and then to have Matt bring her back from the brink. Because that's their relationship, right? She pulls him down, which we saw earlier in the season, her pulling him down. And then he pulls her back. And so I didn't feel like it was mansplaining because she has had her own degree of influence on him. So, uh, you know, for them to influence each other, you know, I- I'm, I'm usually quick to, to agree with anyone who calls something mansplaining, but that's not how it read to me in this particular instance. I guess there's things about Elektra that were treated, and the Punisher, that were treated with so much respect early on in the season that I thought I was seeing these characters, and then when you turn her into a MacGuffin, that takes away a part of her agency because there might just be this unconquerable evil inside of her. And I don't think we needed to double down on the Electra sociopathness, um, uh, and definitely not by making her this undefined thing that has existed for two seasons being undefined, which just is really frustrating me. Because it's like... Even if it was an Easter egg to something in the comics, at least that would give me, like, a rope to hang myself with. But just, like, what's Black Sky? It's, like, horrible, and it was Elektra, and it's a whole bunch of children sometimes, and maybe it's, like, what it is. It's too much. It was too much, and, like, it didn't need to go that far to just 
deliver on what the characters promised in the beginning arcs. I think it's like 10 episodes of a really great season, like basically like a counterpoint to a flash season. Like this is how you do this character really well or these characters really well in the intersecting story. But then it just it couldn't stick the landing. Big, big wet fart at the end. <laughs> okay. Um, so email us a bubbly. Well, so what, what is there anything that could redeem it for you? Anything in the defenders or a daredevil season three, um, that could make that ending worth it to you. If, if Electra activated as black sky, so I don't know, let's give her some contacts or something. Um, is the villain, I mean, we, we kind of thought that Matt, evil Matt Murdock might be a villain going forward, but if it's evil Electra, would that make this ending worth it to you? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, Electra's going to be back, which means I still get another go around at my, my bet at some point because <laughs> Electra comes with bullseye. Um, but I, what I'm hoping for is by the time we return to the Daredevil universe, we will have spent enough time with some mystical Marvel stuff that they won't feel as handcuffed by being unable to explain things in like this grounded street level series. So like after we know you can like harness chi and make your fist glow, maybe we'll be ready to know what Black Sky is and accept that. Okay. Um, then, you know, that, that, this is Marvel's grim dark. This is Marvel's version of grim dark, right? Uh, literally dark, uh, as Dave and I will often complain about daredevil, but what we'll, we're going to switch to some lighter DC fare, uh, before we get to the most grim dark thing. So we're going to talk first about the Supergirl flash crossover, which happened on Monday, uh, which was the uh, fifth episode of Supergirl I've watched this year. I watched the Lexi Alexander episode a couple weeks ago, and then I watched this one. So I've been dipping back in. People keep saying, like, it got better. Please dip back in. And then I dip back in, and I'm like, it's still not my thing. Uh, that said, the Flash crossover was delightful. This A lot of the Supergirl elements were still not my thing. But Greg Gustin and Melissa Benoist, like, I thought he brought out the very best in her. Like, letting her be as goofy as possible is really charming. Um, and the light comedic moments. I mean, someone someone brought up that uh, it reminded them of when Grant Gustin first showed up on Arrow, how easily his character, Barry Allen, fits into another Scooby gang and how much more fun he makes other shows. Uh, so I agree. I just thought that, like, the Banshee stuff was terrible uh, and, and sort of typical Supergirl. So, yeah. What did you think, Dave? Uh, I liked it. Uh, I like a lot of the the, the light moments, uh, mostly as like an antidote to the other world's finest team up we got. Uh, I think it was a little too dependent on having to introduce two villains for two heroes, and because of that, we lost what I felt was like prime Supergirl Flash hanging out time. Like, let's yeah. see them eat a whole bunch of donuts. Uh, I agree. I'd like. To I would. I, I would have rather that. I would have rather it's just them palling around together and sure make it the Jimmy Olsen is jealous plotline too if you want rather than like yeah the whole like Banshee live wire thing was not great yeah I mean even the if it was more Jimmy Olsen stuff I think Java was watching part of this episode over my shoulder and she's like are the Flash and Supergirl gonna kiss and I'm like no probably not and then that Jimmy Olsen like jealousy plot I was like you know what maybe they will <laughs> 
But like, yeah, any more of that, I just feel like, uh, I don't know, they didn't need to over to, to do two verse two, ultimately, especially for the way they decide to end it. Yeah, and I mean, like, I'm not invested in the whole, like, Supergirl let down the city, so now the fire department's going to save her storyline. So that was, like, a little too much, like, swelling of the music and, and saccharine and, and whatever for me. But the Banshee thing was, like, particularly egregious because I she was actually, I think, introduced in the Lexi Alexander episode that I watched, so I knew who this Siobhan character was. She was pretty great, in her, like, pre-I'm-evil-now mode. Uh, but her character design was, like, miserable. And... Uh, we didn't need the whole backstory scene with her. Yeah. Either. It was just... It was, like... That's the stuff in Supergirl that just doesn't work for me. In addition to, like, all the stuff with, like, her sister and the evil... And the alien, like... All of the alien stuff that is integral to Supergirl is just not that interesting to me. Whereas, like, Flash, when they're hunting down metahumans, that's really fun for me. So, uh, yeah. Grant Gustin plus Melissa Benoist, great. Let's have Supergirl fly to another Earth uh, and hang out with them. But I, I don't, I, I'm still not sold on Supergirl in general. That brings us to The Flash. Have you watched this week's Flash? Oh, Dave? yeah, I have. Oh, buddy, is time travel? I th- I was thinking of you the whole time. I was like, Dave must be so thrilled. They're doing a big time travel episode and sticking the landing, I thought. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I kind of uh, like that the, I mean, Time Wraith was sort of Black Flashy, but they didn't call it Black Flash, which I was sort of looking for. That's the Flash that kills people by touching them, which he attempted to do to bury in this episode but that's a very small complaint as a fan of this incarnation of the flash i think it did a really good job playing around in its own universe um and i didn't mind the pied piper suddenly being a good guy all of a sudden i love that as like a fairly harmless butterfly effect you know i thought it was pretty i was really worried that like he was going to come back to the present and like eddie never died or like something really big and, like, the Pied Piper being a, an ally now is, uh, like, just the right fallout, it feels like. Right. right. But it's also table setting if you, you know, peek behind the curtain because now you have another tech guy willing to step in in case any of our Team Flash are putting mortal jeopardy at the end of the season. Oh, no. I mean, Don't. Caitlin seemed like she got pretty close with Jay, and Jay seems like he's insane. So, just... I mean, but then it would be all men. So Cisco's also in danger. Everyone's in danger. I wouldn't even mind him as just like another Scoob. Like he, he, like he could just join the lab and we could not kill Caitlin or Cisco. I'm just saying. Yeah. Or they just toss him into Legends of Tomorrow season two because God, you need affordable actors for that every season. <laughs> we need more people over there for sure. Um, I did want to take this opportunity to read an email, part of an email from Melissa Alston Ackers, uh, who says thank you to us for talking about The Flash so much that she was convinced to watch The Flash. And um, most importantly, she asked, how come Caitlin and Felicity never wear any pants? She's like, okay, Caitlin wore pants on the Christmas episode, but that's it, at least of the episodes I've seen. They seem super fancy for workplace with no dress coats. Iris has a mixed wardrobe, interestingly. This is one of my biggest pet peeves, especially Felicity, is her lab wear. Um, and I know most people don't care, but I care that, like... 
you know, Caitlin wears heels and a dress to the la- to Star Labs every day. I think that's strange and not at all uh, in line with what I've seen from scientists who work in lab. Cisco is rocking proper lab attire, I feel. I don't know. Do you care about this at all, Dave? Not particularly, uh, not particularly. I, I care that you care. I mean, it doesn't make me mad. I don't think it's sexist. I just think it's dumb. Like, I, Felicity, the actresses who play Felicity and Kaylin are so beautiful that I don't think we need them in, like, skin-tight dresses every week. And there was a trend, I think it was, like, season two of Arrow, where all of Felicity's dresses had, like, cutouts in them. So she'd have, like, a bare midriff in the lab. It was just not not for me. Well, I mean, uh, once Felicity gets wheelchair-bound, they can't put her in skirts for a while. But I think we might be heading back to pantsless territory. <laughs> Um, Pantsless Territory is the name of our new spin-off podcast. Um, what, what would that even cover? <laughs> um, the cartoons of Donald Duck, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you oh, go. That's coming back. <laughs> um, all right, so that's, I mean, do we have anything else to say about The Flash? Just that it's, like, nice counter-programming, right? To well, I mean, the interesting thing... The other we got Flash that e- we met this week. Yeah, we got that email about, uh... Somebody, yeah, that we just read about somebody coming onto the Flash. We talk about it so much. Finally, after watching Flash and Supergirl crossover and uh, admitting to me that she found Grant Gustin more attractive than Stephen Amell, which is the new argument I'm having with my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> she watched the first episode of the Flash and is like, "This is like, it's like all silly and stupid," and which. You know, at first enraged me, but then you know I calmed down because arguing with my girlfriend is what what I do. So you gotta you gotta choose your steps carefully, and that led to a whole conversation about Silver Age comic books and the Comics Code Authority, and how like what Flash is representing is something that I think Kevin Smith said that when he was directing it, they told him it needs to have like heart, spectacle, and uh, like a. Uh, thrills or something like that thrills and spectacle may not be the same thing but like the point being is it's all the silver age parts of the comic book and so rarely do we see that part adapted because it's viewed as lame by so many comics fans because it was basically like you couldn't have characters like cuss or do drugs or anything like that that superman became like a 50s house guy and that's the whole era spider-man was like invented in so all the stuff you think is weird about the current design and the way he talks and being a teenager that's all silver age stuff so it's generally stuff that people when they first see it they're so used to seeing screen superheroes portrayed in a modern age or a golden age way that when uh silver age stuff is really portrayed with the full heart and soul of it um it always comes off as corny so it was nice to have a conversation and be like no that's how it's supposed to be but then i overshot it by being like i'll watch all the episodes with you and i think she like it literally ran away. <laughs> well yeah that i mean that tone reminds me so much of squirrel girl and i bought copies of you know squirrel girl for my two closest friends and you know insisted that they read them because i just find that comic so charming and it's just, it's fun. It's just fun. And, like, it's okay for something, you know, I liked Daredevil Season 2. It's okay for something to not be fun. But, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, point being, we're going nice, to talk about Batman v Superman. Yeah, no, there's something to say about having somewhere you can show up for fun every week. Yeah. Um, Flash and iZombie also. iZombie this week was was great. So those are those are some fun shows to watch. So that I'm are not based- watching it. 
based on comic books. Um, oh, I'm six episodes into season two of Asian Carter, though. So next time I'll be all I'll be all done. All right. Um, and we can talk about episodes I barely remember from a month ago. Um, well, that's not. <laughs> I mean, maybe that is indicative of quality. I don't know. I've been having a romp while we've been no. talking about fun. I'm trying to squeeze in all the fun right before we do what I think we're going to do. <laughs> So this is the part where we talk about Batman v Superman, uh, where I could get really angry. I'm, but I'm, I'm beyond angry. I'm feeling pretty chill about it, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, just I think it's garbage. I'm validated by all the other critics who think it's garbage, and I feel like I. It's actually very comforting because I feel like I was right about Zack Snyder all along. Um. Yeah, so the smugness, the, the insufferable smugitude that's coming off me right now hopefully will not alienate all of our listeners. Oh, that's how you cushioned your fall with smug? <laughs> yes. Uh, Dave, uh, <laughs> what did you think of this garbage fire? Um, um, I mean, uh, garbage fire is something that I came around to referring it as to, just like a shorthand. Like my immediate reactions to the movie were just more like I felt tired and I felt like it was like mean spirited all the way through and with two characters that didn't necessarily need to be that way. And like, it sort of made me like man of steel more. Like I didn't like that movie's version of Superman, but at least that movie's version of Superman, like was a version of Superman. This one, it just sort of feels like sort of, just made him like dark and whiny and needlessly mean about like maybe i'll just give everything up maybe like my dad says i could just you know let some horses drown every once in a while or whatever the hell that was supposed to mean but like um it it the problem with not being able to like it is that there are moments in the movie that shine through as being like good moments but they're like some total is minutes to an otherwise like bloated mess that feels like I think I said the I'm fighting in the war room the deleted scenes of three other movies and it's like it's so uh, when I'm I, I don't usually nitpick a movie uh you know like publicly but when I am nitpicking things like it seems like such little tweaks or little kicks to the the outline of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice could have been made to uh, put it more in line with something that I would have enjoyed. And I felt that immediately afterwards. And the more that Zack Snyder talks about some of his motivations going into some of the things in the movie, I definitely feel like all those things that weren't tweaked were purposefully left in there at some point, uh, either because a committee made a decision or Zack Snyder thought that was a good thing that he now needs to represent to the public. And those are all the wrong decisions. Um, it just, it, it was really, it was really ugly. And it, the weird thing is like outside of, I can't think of a superhero movie that was this unrecognizable and this ugly at the same time since maybe Spawn, which I really wanted to like Oh, at the time. wow. Okay. But like Spawn had a similar problem where they didn't really, they thought they knew where the cool was, but somewhere along the way they're like, and Martin Sheen will be our star. And we have to keep, uh, you know, John Leguizamo as a clown for longer because the big superhero, and we got to show somebody's face because we can't have the mask on all the time. And it just feels like a lot of that has just been amplified through the way we view superhero movies now, which is about making franchises 
and results in an incoherent story. Like, maybe I'll enjoy Batman v Superman if, you know, six movies later, parts of it are essential. And it's like, if you start off a marathon with a piece of crap, like, that's that's fine. <laughs> like, if, if as long as it's building to somewhere and it contributes something. But just, like, where it is right now, that's why Trash Fire becomes, like, the... <laughs> the shorthand that's the easiest is because it's like all these garbage pieces that are screaming for attention and I don't care about any of them. And because of that, a lot of like, even the iconography that Zack Snyder, the visual iconography Zack Snyder has been so good at by either coming up with stuff on his own or copying Frank Miller comic books in the past or Alan Moore comic books uh it isn't here like weird decisions like how did how he shoots the batmobile chase to just make everything feel like small or uh, like setting everything with like a whole bunch of like dirt and particle thing i didn't think i'd like end up watching a Zack snyder movie and hoping for somebody to like punch somebody in speed ramping but like none of that like cool, <laughs> none of that cool stuff he used to do to like bring comic books to life is here. This is just like somebody told him to try to be Chris Nolan, and Zack Snyder's doing his best to be Chris Nolan. But that's not his wheelhouse, and forcing him into that has distorted this whole movie and lit all the trash pieces on fire. <laughs> um, my fate. I, I would say the the individual piece of trash, flaming piece of trash that put me off this movie from the start uh, would be killing Jimmy Olsen without even introducing that it is Jimmy Olsen. And it's it's like nine different problems here. You've got like Zack Snyder needing to kill a beloved character, but the storytelling is so clumsy that he forgets to tell the audience who this beloved character is. Um, it's continuity garbage because we've got Jenny Olsen both in Man of Steel and in this movie. So if you've already gender-bent a character, why are you then introducing a Jimmy Olsen character? And if you watch this movie and you're like, I don't remember who Jimmy Olsen was, he's the he's the photographer with Lois Lane in Africa who gets shot, who's also in the CIA, I guess, or working with the CIA. His introductory and line was cut from the movie, but it's going to be on the Ultimate Edition, so don't worry. What does he say? I'm Jimmy Olsen and I work with CIA? Is that his introductory line? No, he's like, I've been assigned to you. I'm your photographer. I'm Jimmy Olsen. It's like, that's crazy to me. It is crazy to me that they would kill Jimmy Olsen in a brutal way uh, without what? making sure we know who Jimmy Olsen is. And then the fact that, like, Robin's dead. Um, I don't know if Barbara Gordon dies. And, like, I, we know the Jenna Malone plays Barbara Gordon. She's cut out of the movie. I don't know. But, like, I mean... We should say this is spoilers, right? <laughs> like spoilers, I guess. This is all spoilers for Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. If you haven't seen it, um, you're crazy. You're going to be subjected uh, to it sometime in the future <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen it. I'm sorry. But seriously, spoilers. I'm just about to spoil the ending, so I just need you guys to know. Spoilers, spoilers. Like Clark dies. Okay, so Clark dies. Jimmy Olsen dies. Robin dies. Off screen, admittedly. Like. That's that's just so much dark. Nothing makes sense. Um, I I do want to agree. I, I do want to try to find some bright spots, and I will agree uh, with David Ehrlich's assessment over on Fighting the War Room, which is that the opening, which is the reverse of the finale of Man of Steel, with with uh, Ben Affleck's Batman on the ground, or is Bruce Wayne on the ground? Why why does Bruce Wayne have uh, flashing lights on his car? By the way, like what is that? Anyway, um. 
I did like that. I didn't love the way it was done, but I do like that concept. I do like taking the criticisms of Man of Steel and uh, saying, okay, well, what if this is the spark, you know, that 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 uh, fuels the conflict between these two characters? Like, I, I just think that is really smart. Uh, but it just, it falls apart immediately. Like, they set up something that is actually very compelling and an interesting... Um, just a, a weighty comic book story. Very interesting. And then it just dissolves because it's like several years later. <laughs> I don't know. It just, um, it's just, it's just a mess. And it's, like my question, I, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, it's hard because like that's the great beginning to a movie called Batman v Superman enter the night.com where you could go to find all our back episodes of this <laughs> podcast. But like there's a Batman movie in here. That's great. And there's a Man of Steel movie in here that isn't great, but it's at least in line with Man of Steel. And then there's a Dawn of Justice movie in here that, you know, is what it is, but I would have been a lot more tolerable of it if I got the first two movies before I got Dawn of Justice. The difference between, like, that schizophrenic structure and something like Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is very similar, is that Amazing Spider-Man 2 is sort of like having fun with, like, its, like, little pithy one-offs. So you could like write things off as like not important. Here everything has like such weird weight that Batman's attacked by like a bat monster that comes out of his mother's grave. And it's just like their dream sequences plopped in the middle of nowhere. And it's just there's not even a through line like Amazing Spider-Man 2's very, very weak through line that's even like uh, alluding to trying to knit everything together into one movie. And it just ends up feeling like a disjointed weird mess and i guess with the main spider-man 2 i wanted to see a sinister six spin-off because those characters were like interesting and if anything i like wanted to see how they'd be fleshed out here even if they were like okay dave you could split this into three movies i wouldn't want to watch those movies because i don't like these versions of this character they're just they're not they're not for me they're Zack Snyder's creations with these names on them that can be super marketable. And they apparently be, you know, are for a wide swath of the American worldwide population. But as somebody who's like, I don't know, been alive for the rise of Batman on, on screen, it's, it's always been, I don't know, either like a really dynamic thing based on the director, like the 1989 Tim Burton one, which is just basically like Edward Scissorhands Batman or something that's like trying to pull from some sect of the comics and has a base in that to give me a recognizable Batman. This is a very angry Batman that exists for certain pages of the Dark Knight um, Returns graphic novel by Frank Miller, but isn't actually the sum total of that comics Batman. And he's been rendered like so recognizable that it's, it's like he's a Ben Affleck Zack Snyder creation which is fine but it's not my it's not my cup of tea not, not my Batman hashtag not my Batman. not my Batman yeah um yeah yeah no I I agree with you that that it's too many movies at once and I wouldn't be interested probably in any of them I'd be interested in uh a Wonder Woman heist movie uh that we saw for like two minutes I guess Hell yeah. um I, I'd watch that and we we are gonna get a Wonder Woman movie and I am quite interested in that all of the Wonder Woman stuff, as brief as it was, um, even I guess the part where she gets mansplained to you as well. Um, I don't know. I, I that was a bright spot. I know that Ezra, Ezra Miller's Flash, who shows up 
in a dream sequence and then on some surveillance video, uh, some people didn't even know that that was a flash. Like, why should they, you know? Um, yeah. And I keep thinking that they put him in that like time travel suit so they wouldn't have to commit to the full suit. But Zack Snyder, no, Deborah Snyder has recently said that that was something cool that, um, Zack Snyder had, uh, linked to the justice league story so at some point in either justice league part one or part two we're gonna see flash go back to that moment uh but interestingly i don't i don't know i probably talked about on this podcast in some sort of spoiler section uh but like that scene was potentially on the chopping block to be put in the ultimate edition and it's kind of interesting that it ended up where it did in the movie in the theatrical cut just because it makes even less sense for like a time travel <laughs> thing to be in a dream within a dream, so uh, it's it's just more evidence that like I don't know. I think during when we were talking about Age of Ultron, we're like, man, when like ten years when the Marvel book comes out and we figure out how Joss Whedon fought with these people, it's going to be interesting. This story, this movie is going to have an equally interesting backstory. I just think it's a lot less tolerable of a movie. Well, I mean, what's interesting is that a lot of people are saying, as we said about Ultron, that the studio ruined this movie, maybe. Um, But what would Zack Snyder's cut have been? Like, three and a half hours? Like, how long would it have been? I mean, you know, grant you, Whedon's cut of Ultron would have been, you know, unforgivably long as well. But, like, uh, you know, tell a better story. I mean, uh, yeah. Maybe there's a coherent story in here, but I don't. I don't see it. I don't even see the hint of a spine of a story uh, in in this movie at all. Well, there was uh, like a there was a Goyer draft that then Chris Terrio came in and sort of redid with the whole like Zack Snyder, Jeff Johns battle to like who's going to control the entirety of the DC universe going on. So like a lot of this movie, I think, is just like at some point in the Goyer draft, it was revealed at the end that like Lex Luthor's plan was like so overly complex because it was Brainiac all along. And like it was otherworldly complex and he knew how to do Kryptonian things because it was like this alien presence that like had Kandor and was like coming to Earth already. But like at some point, everybody is like, nope, it's going to be Darkseid and nope, it's going to be Batman v-, v Superman like, over this, like, mom's name thing. And, like, the whole script kind of got, like, re-puzzle pieced together. But it's, like, the little bit of what I know about that Goyer draft, there are, like, pieces of it echoed here, but, like, sometimes that's the nonsensical piece because a whole bunch of that is, like, a whole bunch of the stuff that got added was the Man of Two, uh, Man of Steel reactionary stuff, too. So that's how those pieces sort of, like, chop into the middle of a, like, otherwise, like, like a meaningless Lex Luthor machination. It's just so, yeah, it's very possible that the studio did ruin this movie. But that being said, like the decisions that Zack Snyder is purporting to have made in the post-release press, uh, it can still be squarely put on him as well as the visual style of the movie, which uh, did not like. No. (laughs) Um, what do you think, 
What do you think could, I, I guess I already asked you this about Daredevil, what do you think could redeem this movie for you? You said this elsewhere as well as here right now, um, that six movies from now, if it's the good franchise, then you'll forgive Batman v Superman for being terrible. And I guess like, you know, with Fast and Furious, we forgive, I don't know, what are, what is it, three? It's awful. Um, you know, we can forgive Two. shaky. Two's awful. Is it two? Is Tokyo that Tokyo Drift? Drift? Great. No, Tokyo Drift is three. Tokyo no, Drift yeah. Is good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tokyo Drift is great. Great. Too fast, too furious. Two. Not good. Awful. You know. Um, and but then we can all be back on board if a franchise sort of rebounds if it gets. I mean, does it just need the rock? Is that what needs to happen? Um, well, they they're getting to that, but very very slowly. He's Black Adam. <laughs> right. Right. He's in the Shazam movie. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um. Wouldn't that be great if, if the if that's when the franchise rebounds? But I mean, basically, we can see what happened, which is just exactly what it seemed like was going to happen, which is that Warner Brothers wanted to be Marvel too fast, and they bit off more than they could chew, and they, instead of doing Man of Steel 2, they did Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which is just, like, as you say, it's trying to make one simple sequel into three movies, like a, a Batman movie, a Superman movie, and an intro to the Justice League movie, and... um it's just way too much, way, way, way too much, too fast, too soon. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but you know, it made a, made a lot of money. It made a lot of money, and plenty of and plenty of people did like it. So you know. Well, Patty that. Jenkins is already well into Wonder Woman, and in in Patty, right. we trust for that because you can't course correct that, but too much. If anything, they'll pull back on all the connective tissue to the other DC universe. Hopefully. They'll just be like, you know what? Just tell this Wonder Woman story, which I think could only be like better. On the downside, apparently Zack Snyder is one of the soldiers in the Wonder Woman photo in Dawn of Justice, which implies that maybe Zack Snyder is in Wonder Woman. Not necessarily awesome, but otherwise in Patty Jenkins we trust. From a costume design perspective and from what little footage we've seen, everything sort of looks fine. The next up after that is actually Justice League Part 1, we know that Bruce is going to put the Justice League together. So, I mean, what I want from that is obviously when the team comes together, if you're going to have fully formed characters by the time they show up, make sure that they also, I mean, have some sort of like levity with them. The Flash should have some levity. Cyborg could have some levity just in the sense that he's been written that way and like the Teen Titans. So obviously an angle of that character exists. Uh, maybe if it's not this like tortured one that we see formed here, uh, Aquaman, James Wan says it's going to be fun or basically he was at, a, uh, what is it? WonderCon? He was at whatever comic convention was this weekend and was like, had all the buzzwords that was like, it's okay. Aquaman isn't going to be WonderCon. Like, yeah. Yeah. Isn't going to be like Batman V Superman. So I think everyone's sort of getting the idea. What, what, what I need to make this movie better is I need a better understanding of why Batman's so angry. Uh, Like, he goes and he stands by the Robin suit, and, like, nothing happens. And, like, I'm supposed to assume a whole bunch of stuff. And, like, this movie could have won me over a little bit more with its Batman if it presented a Batman that was, like, this is, you know, he's so super ready to die because he's ready to kill or something like that. Like, this is the last resort 12 times over. Because otherwise, it's going to clash when I see him, like, spare the Joker later on if he's just wantonly, like, killing. So, I, mm. I, you have to, there wasn't enough character behind that 
to like make me realize that I like could associate this Batman with the Batman I knew. So in the future, if we you know get to see what happened with that Robin, or if they do a Red Hood, or if they do something that contributes to why Batman is willing to go as far as he does, uh, that this movie doesn't contribute, I might be able to look more favorably on it. The Superman stuff is a little bit harder, but I think like Zack Snyder's Superman isn't going to change. All we could do hope for is that like his uh, like the Lex Luthor supporting character, whatever they do that leads to Superman going bad, that Flash warns Bruce about in this movie. If those all contribute, so it's like I, it doesn't matter that I hate Superman because Superman's like sort of the antagonist character after he comes back. I think that might help me a little bit more. Basically, I'm looking for a way for future movies to let me off the hook for not liking these characters. You could have a shitty plot if later on you you like it becomes an essential character piece for me. Mm. But that's okay. just franchise thinking. I mean, it doesn't save the fact that somebody spent too much money on a movie that is not good. I think, you know, looking at... Here's my number one question. Why is Superman so angry? I guess he's so angry because... But he was so broody in Man of Steel and I didn't like it. And I don't like that he's so angry in this movie that he's sneering so often. It just doesn't seem like that's the Superman that we should be getting. But I guess that's the Superman of the Snyderverse. I just don't like Zack Snyder's view of the world. And what he thinks is interesting is not interesting to me. And that's just concretely proven by his filmography except for the owl movie and dawn of the dead so well i like um, too, but otherwise i, I didn't but that's okay so like you know am i gonna keep seeing these warner brothers movies yes am i gonna keep getting like riled up about it i don't see the point of getting riled up about it because it just is me being riled up is not gonna get Warner. i don't think warner brothers is gonna fire zack snyder i don't think they they are gonna do that at all they made a lot of money so that money talks. Criti- the critical backlash m- will definitely, I think, have them course correcting some things. Um, you know, Zack Snyder himself is already out in front of it saying that Justice League is going to be brighter thanks to The Flash. But, you know, just because they course correct some things does not mean that um, it's going to stop being a Zack Snyder franchise and a Zack Snyder franchise. No, I don't know about that because like they could course correct. They could have a different director for Justice League part two. And then it's just like as if you would hated Joss Whedon, like that would have polluted a whole phase for you, essentially, like that view of the world. We luckily we like it. it. But it but it would have. I mean, like, because Whedon's touch was there in the films that he didn't direct. No, that's what I'm or, saying. Right. But, well, only, yeah. but only a phase. Like, now it's the Rousseau brothers thing. So, like, even even if they commit to Zack Snyder again, there's a chance you're going to have another chance after Justice League uh, Part 1 for this to be a universe for you. Because you can't course correct in, like, cycles, or Marvel's at least pushed a little bit in that direction just through necessity. I guess if you want to, if you want to just call it the Snyder phase, this phase one, the Snyder phase, then that's fine. I mean, like the Whedon phase of the Marvel cinematic universe has 
two, I think, of the strongest films, which are um, Winter Soldier and Avengers. Um, also, Iron Man 3 is up there for me. Um, so it matters. I mean, it, it, it impacts these other films. I'm excited for the Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman. I'm intrigued. I think Suicide Squad is going to be kind of a shit show, but I'm intrigued by whatever Margot Robbie's about to do in it. Um, but the Flash, Aquaman, all of that stuff, I... I'm not that interested. Well, I mean, what we... But I'll see them, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the misery of it. I'll see them. You what know, we f- what can what, I do? What we finally know is that, like, Marvel decided at some point, because it had sold off its most popular characters, that it needed to be a character, you know, focused franchise of films that, you know, built on each other. And DC had to figure out what, or no, what, it had to be character focused and what made Marvel Studios successful, I think, in adapting these lesser known characters is they committed to what those characters were, what they understood those characters being as a publishing company. They echoed those into movies. What happened is with like DC is they instead somehow gave the reins to Zack Snyder instead of like Jeff Johns, who could have been like a Kevin Feige. And they let, you know, they let it be a director's franchise or whatever. Like, tell the story you want to tell, and none of that has anything to do with how the comics been or the characters have been portrayed in publishing. What they essentially did was, like, if after Iron Man in 2008, they're like, well, what do you think, John Favreau? We're going to give you yeah, four John- movies to do whatever you want. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Favs, what's your take on, on Steve Rogers? How about and- Thor? And exactly, like Iron Man 2 was a mess, just like Batman v Superman is a mess, because the difference between Marvel and DC is DC's decided to go the filmmaker route, which, as it turns out, makes characters I don't recognize, and Marvel's decided to keep some of it close to the original IP, and I think is able to spin stuff out based on that. We're supposed to be looking forward to Ezra Miller's Flash, in theory, because this is what's going to bring the lightness. But they've hired Seth Graham, Seth Graham Smith, right, who has never directed anything in his life. And what he's known for is writing terrible, terrible books that were t- turned into terrible, terrible movies. Like, he is, he is another Zack Snyder for me, where I shake my fist at the sky and say, why does this person keep getting hired? And that's who's helming the Flash. I mean... You know, Pi Jenkins is a good call. James Wan is a good call, but they're making as many bad calls as good. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, I, I, I think at some point, if you give power to Jeff Johns and uh, tell him to do what he wants to do, Mike could be a way to go. All right. Uh, yeah, so that's my weary, I mean, I think people wanted, like, an angry, uh, strappy rant for me, but I, I don't really have that in me. I'm just sort of, like, beaten down by this movie. I'm I not angry. I th- fire monologue. Someone should, that's should true. transcribe that <laughs> so I could just post it over and over again. <laughs> um, I, I'm not angry that this movie did well at the box office. I fully, I, the entire time I expected it to do very, very well at the box office. Because, I mean, I pre-bought tickets like my friends and I pre-bought expensive Alamo draft house tickets so like that's the definition of too big to fail if I'm gonna buy tickets for a movie that I know I'm gonna hate there are gonna be plenty of people who are gonna line up to pre-buy tickets for a film based you know if they liked Man of Steel which plenty of people did that being said I mean it's still breaking records I saw some headline today like broke a Tuesday record or whatever like it's still doing well I don't know how long the legs of this movie will last I don't know how it's all going to shake out eventually but Warner Brothers is probably going to be able to call this a, a hit 
um, if not a mega hit, but a hit. So, well, I mean, what motivation do they have to to really, really do any big course corrections? It's all tea leaves at this point. I've heard that if it crosses a billion, like worldwide, it's fine. But then you have stuff like Amazing Spider-Man Two, which did that and is like credited with killing the entire franchise and causing them to like trade half of it back to Marvel. So I don't know exactly what the bar is for box office failure. All I know is that like, I don't, when you spend this much money marketing a movie, I don't think we've seen the end just of the initial surge yet. So I'm really interested to see how week two plays out for Batman v Superman. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's nothing else out. I mean, there's the new Richard Linklater movie, but um, there's there's nothing else big coming out for like a couple weeks. Like people cleared the decks for this movie. So yeah, it might have legs. We'll see. Ooh, you know who didn't clear the decks? Marvel, who scheduled a Civil War screening at CinemaCon on the 13th. Ooh. Are you going? No, I'm not going, but that's very confidence-making because that's a little less than a month over and they're just going to open it up to theater owners and embargo them as much as you want. Stuff's going to get out. So I think Marvel Marvel thinks that it could, uh, it could kick Warner Brothers in the face real hard if it wants to at the beginning of April if it has a good movie. So that's at least a sign of confidence from that side with this other verse movie we have that's looming over us. Um, did, was it true that people had to walk back their stories about what records Batman v Superman broke over the weekend or all those stories still true? No, no. What happened is the estimate on like, uh, the estimates that came in had it crossing 170 million, which would have made it beating, it would have beat Deathly Hollows part two to become Warner Brothers like highest, uh, release and ended up only getting like 167.2 million. So people had to adjust and it had to lose a number one. But the number one that it gained because of that was biggest Friday to Sunday drop uh, with 55%, which is even worse than the like 43% Fantastic Four had last year. So people got a little worried (laughs) and Warner Brothers had to scramble and make some statements like uh, obviously there's a divide between audiences and critics and then they released a deleted scene online and scheduled the Blu-ray release to kind of like buoy it back up. But yeah, that that Friday to Sunday drop, like people were a little little scared over the weekend. That is so weird that um, they released that Lex scene online, isn't it? I mean, can you think of another movie that's released a deleted scene? Uh, I guess I feel like we saw the Thor scene. From Ultron, but not opening weekend. Right? No, opening weekend's really weird. I mean, I've seen so weird. Some movies have put like what would be post credit tags online um, around the same opening weekend. Wasn't there that horrible horror film that ended with like a website that you had to go to? It was like a I forget what it is. <laughs> I don't know. But there's a car crash, <laughs> and then like the last card is like a website, and you were supposed to go or like continue the story, and you're like, I didn't even like the movie. So, like, I'm sure, like, shit like this has been tried before, but it's really weird for a tentpole movie to admit opening weekend that there's so much more. Don't worry. 
You've got yeah. at least 30 more minutes of content coming to you in July. It'll totally be coherent once you watch those 30 minutes. I promise. Yeah, go see are it you in the theater are you gonna... and buy it, you know, for July and then go see it in the theater until July. It's really simple, guys. Are you going to watch the extended cut? Uh, I probably have to. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. But I don't want to pay for it. I'm sure I can find someone who will buy it, and I can watch it that way. As long as somebody buys the copy. Like, there's still the law in our country that you could trade you know, in between people with the stuff, like the VHS copying law. So you're good. You're good as long as somebody buys it that you know. So I know someone who loved it, like an actual human with a brain and a heart and a soul who saw it and loved it and is a friend of mine. Um... And he is the kind of person who would probably buy the extended version. So maybe yeah. I'll borrow it off of him. Pre-order is yeah. on Amazon right now. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to say <laughs> wearily about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice? Uh, nope. I think that was, that was some Dawn of Justice. It dawned. Justicely. Mm-hmm. Justice, justice is such a weird word to throw around with this movie, but I've already, <laughs> I've already nitpicked it. Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Injustice. Um, I wrote about superhero trends over on VanityFair.com. I don't know. The headline is something inflammatory, like, why are all superhero movies the same now? I'm not sure I believe that, but the content is mine. Uh, so you can read some thoughts I have on some trends that have been cropping up. Dave, is there anything, any writing you want to plug while uh, we have you? To- da7e.com you'll get my latest marvelous dave column where i look ahead to the other marvel movies coming out because dc is not my purview and of course wolverine is in like all the upcoming x-men movies so brian brian singer's like wolverine's not a central character to to x-men apocalypse and we're like central character so still if you count stapling his face to Deadpool's face at the climax of the movie. 20th Century Fox still thinks that you need like three seconds of Hugh Jackman to make sure everybody knows it's an X-Men movie. You mean like um, First Class also? Everything. Um, there hasn't been yeah, an X-Men yeah. movie without Hugh Jackman. That's that's a really charming stat. Don't you think that's charming? I hope he's in them forever. I mean, that'd be great if, like, what he does is, like, how we learn about Wolverine's storyline is he just, like, bops in and out of whatever the motherfuckers are doing. Oh, man, I'm not psyched really... for a, what, Mystique Gambit Deadpool team. What the hell are you doing, Fox? Though they're not. Isn't, isn't Jennifer Lawrence out? There's going to be no Mystique. Oh, 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 you should read my column at DA70.com. Jennifer Lawrence oh, yeah. has changed her tune. Ah, Okay. Great, I'm really excited. Everyone, let's head over there. Um, well, well, yeah, actually, while while we're talking about this, you know, I read some silly doom and gloom uh, predictions about the Gambit movie, but I feel like they're just they're just deadpooling it a little bit. Like, they're just rewriting it. Um, I, I don't feel like this is it, just because Doug Lyman is now making another movie. Like, Gambit's still happening, right? There's too much writing on Channing Tatum, right? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we knew it was going to be moved because they pulled it off the schedule, like, a month ago and added two mystery movies. So, like, we knew this was happening. It's just been a slow news week for anything that isn't Batman v Superman. So, I think this one... It has. 
This one got amped a little bit. And it is a little weird that it's now going to start shooting around when it was supposed to first be released. But, you know, that happens. That's that's superhero movie scheduling. Um, and, and one last thing is that I'm looking at the photo. I think the photo that you're talking about from Wonder Woman and... It's over on Bleeding Cool, and I don't see Zack Snyder, so... All right, apparently he's in the background. Do you see, like, any hunched-over or weird World War One soldiers in the background or something? There's, like, the blurriest person in the world, so if you decide that that's Zack Snyder, then more power to you. I, I No, this is what somebody said. I think he said this. Like, that's... Like, it was one of the weird... But then like, is that just, like, an Easter egg? He's like, hey, I'm super blurry in the background of that photo. Well, but I that photo is... On Wonder Woman, right? Like Wonder Woman's. Anyway, it's well, it's Wonder Woman. It's it's people in the movie. So it's Wonder Woman, Chris Pine, Ewan Brummer, um, and Say Tam Tagmawi, and then um, a Native American dude. Those are the people in the front. All right, and, good. So it's just a walkthrough. It's just and way in the back, way, way, way in the back, super blurred is a soldier standing there, but like. I don't, I, you know, I think it's just an Easter egg. Good. I don't want him to Eli Roth anytime soon. I mean, he looks like Eli Roth. That's immediately what I thought of. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's Eli Rothing. Um, all right. Uh, Dave, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DA70 at geek.com and latino-review.com. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on vanityfair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And we will see you sometime next month. Bye. <laughs>